morning. Woo. Absolutely. Sometimes when I'm singing up here, I have to remember that I also have to get up and speak, and I have to have a voice left uh, to speak with. So, great job, guys. Well, about six weeks ago, uh, I stepped off an airplane um, into Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I literally went from leaving KCI at like negative five and then getting on the ground at like 90 degrees. Okay, so my body was just whacked out, all right? I hadn't been to Haiti in 25 years. It was, uh, the last time I was there was when I was in college, and uh, three of us, three or four of us from Wellspring went down together with uh, an organization called the Global Orphan Project um, to get a feel for their ministry that they were doing there uh, to orphans on the ground um, in that country. And so we arrived, spent the night. The next morning we got up, and, and a team of us got in a van, and we drove three hours north of there. Anytime you go for a ride in Haiti, it's an adventure. Um, so you go, there's no such thing as stoplights and stop signs. So, um, so we go for about three hours. We arrive at the town that we're going to stay at that night. We dump our stuff off at the hotel. And we get back in the van. And we ride north again. And pretty soon we leave the paved road. And we go off onto this pretty wide gravel road probably for about 45 minutes, and, and we're going up into the mountains, and the, the towns just keep getting smaller and more remote. And finally, we leave the gravel road, and we turn right at this shack, and we go on to this basically dirt path with two you know, paths where tires have gone through. I didn't see any other cars the whole time we were off on that path, so I think it's pretty rare even for cars to get back in there. So as we're going along, you start to see kind of the, the thatched roof huts and, and cinder block dwellings with little, you know, tin roofs on them. And we go for a while, we go down into this valley across a stream, which was a little scary. And then when the road ended, we were there in this little village called Desiree. And I've been to a lot of third world countries before. I've seen poverty, I've seen lots of orphans, and, um, but there was something about this place that was just a little heavier than any place I'd ever been. And part of it was just kind of how it looked. Um, there's a lot of drought there, so it's just dry and dusty, like hardly any green anywhere unless you look up on the mountains a little bit. Um, no businesses. Uh, it was just a depressing place, at least for me. Um, in the midst of this place, though, um, there was an orphanage caring for about 65 kids. And show you just a couple pictures. This is us uh, gathering the kids up in a circle to play a game. You can kind of see just the dirt. There's really no green life. You can see uh, the dormitories that they now have uh, in the back. And um, if you go to the next picture, just a, a little closer up picture of one of the girls that we got to play with that day. And um, So we spent a little bit of time there. They, they started out... Uh, their first home for these orphans were empty freight containers, uh, was where the kids slept. And then they graduated to building some cement slab, you know, tin roof dorms. And so we spent a couple hours there playing with the kids, and, and then we got back in, in the van and, and drove away. Um, but as we drove away, I was just like, man, I was just distraught. It was really hard for me to picture 
and imagine what kind of future there was for these kids. Um, like I said, no businesses in town. I don't, I don't know how anybody there made any money to, to survive. Um, and just what was in store for them. And the good thing, I guess, was that they were being cared and loved, cared for and loved. So they were getting fed. They were getting to school and, and religious education and all of those things, which were great. Um, so why are we talking about Haitian orphans on Easter morning? I'm glad you asked. In one of Jesus' last talks with his disciples before his death, he used a lot of orphan language. He talked in terms of of abandonment and and destitute and vulnerable in in describing all of us. And so let let me set the scene for our conversation a little bit this morning. Last Sunday, if you were here, we celebrated Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday uh, kind of marks the start of the last week of Jesus' life. The, the trick is, is that he was the only one who knew that it was the last week of his life. And so they ride into town. They're on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's just Jesus and his disciples and just a small band of extended followers. And the excitement amongst Jesus' closest followers is just off the charts. I mean, they are super jazzed. All right, because what they think is going to happen is that this is going to be kind of the culmination of three really hard years on the road with Jesus. I mean, they had been through some tough stuff, and they thought, man, this is the time, right? All the stars are aligning. It's all pointing to this. Jesus is going to go in there to Jerusalem. He's going to set himself up as king of the Jews. He's going to you know, vanquish the Romans aside. We're going to be free He's going to give all of us, his closest buddies, like all the best positions in his new government, right? He's going to establish his kingdom. It's going to be amazing. And as they get closer to Jerusalem and they they kind of get up on the hillside overlooking it, you know, the the disciples, we looked at last week, they are singing joyfully at the top of their lungs, praising God. And it's just kind of like a festival atmosphere, right? Right? And in the midst of that, you remember what happened? Jesus just starts bawling, just sobbing. His heart is broken as he looks down on Jerusalem, the city of God, and he is just racked with pain for the people that are there that aren't going to receive him. Those people are so precious to him, and he's just distraught. And so it's awkward right? <laughs> when everybody else around you is singing and having a great time and you're praying, it just, it's just kind of weird. So they had to give Jesus kind of his emotional moment, you know, give him a space. And then, and then the par- parade goes on. And as they actually go down into Jerusalem, we talked last week about he came in to the city at a time when the streets are just teeming with people. It's during the Passover, which is like the biggest Jewish celebration on the church calendar. And pilgrims from all over the Mediterranean area have made their way to Jerusalem. Most estimates are somewhere in the two and a half million to three million people range, okay? And a lot of people there had heard about Jesus. They'd heard about the miracles that he'd done, some of the teachings that he'd had. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, his popularity is at its height. And so hundreds of thousands of people are lining the streets, praising him, welcoming him, as the conquering king. It was a pretty epic scene. And that was Sunday. 
And as the week wore on, the disciples kind of started to to catch the drift that maybe Jesus' plan wasn't exactly the same as their plan. And everything kind of came to a head on Thursday. That evening, Jesus gathered up his, his 12 disciples, his closest buddies who he'd shared life with day in and day out for three years now. And he got them into a room and they sat down for what would be the last meal, the last supper that they would eat together, even though nobody else knew it besides Jesus. And he started this dinner conversation with kind of some light talk about the fact that one of his best friends was going to betray him. And immediately there was this just shock and this sadness that goes throughout the room as they kind of look around at each other and like, who could it be? Like, who is it that would betray him? And then Jesus began to to break the troubling news to them gently. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 13. Page 751, John 13, not only did he say, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me, but he also said Peter, who was kind of the leader of the disciples, the the elder statesman, the rock, he said, you're going to deny me. And so it's just like the hitch just keep coming. And in verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. And instantly the tension in the room just kind of ramps up again. And the disciples' heads are spinning at this point, trying to, f- to figure this out. Like, like, Jesus, how did this go from like, you're going to be king, and, and we're going to have all the important seats in government, and this is going to be amazing, to now you're going to leave us forever? That, that sounds like you're abandoning us. You're leaving us behind. It felt like Jesus, their spiritual father, was going to leave them as orphans. And they start asking questions. They start asking questions that orphan children would ask. I want you to look down at verses 36, verses 37. Peter says, Jesus, where are you going? Why can't I go with you? And then Thomas in chapter 14, verse 5 says this, Jesus, we really don't understand where you're going. Help us to know the way so that we can find you. And you can hear the the longing in their questions. And Jesus calls them children because children need constant reassurance, don't they? They do, man. Kids want to know more than anything that things are going to be okay, right? Because the shock sometimes of this world that we live in is a little much for kids to take in. And so they want to be reassured. How many of you guys have taken a toddler to a doctor's office? All right, if you had that experience, okay, if you haven't, teenagers, it's going to be a blast, all right, because by the time these, these, little, these little guys and girls get to be about 18 months, you know, and then 18 months to two to three, they're starting to connect the dots, right, 
And so you get them to that doctor's office, and it's all, you know, fun and games out in the, in the lobby, you know. And then you get them into that room, and you shut the door, and they're just like, hey, wait a minute. I've been here. <laughs> yeah, this is where they poke me and shove stuff down my nose and my ears and my mouth and all this stuff, and, and this is a place of pain, and you brought me here, <laughs> Right? And then what do they do, right? Then once, once they kind of, it kind of reality kicks in, they, they look at you and they grab you, right, with the death grip. And they look up at you with these panicked eyes, right? And what do they want to hear you say? It's going to be okay, right? And so what do we do as good parents? We lie. <laughs> right? We look at them in the face and we say, it's only going to hurt a little bit. And then we give them candy. (laughs) So Jesus looks at these children, and he hands them all a dum-dum. I'm I'm ad-libbing a little bit here. And he begins to tell them that, guys, it's going to be okay. I want you to look at chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then I want you to skip down to verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Pretty amazing promises, huh? Saying, guys, I'm going to have to leave you for a little while. It's going to be for your own good. But I will come back to you. I want to be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. What, what, what nobody else in the room could comprehend in that moment was the price that Jesus was going to have to pay in order for those promises to come true. Nobody else could understand that within 24 hours, Jesus was going to be arrested and falsely accused and was going to be beaten and mocked and ridiculed and nailed to a cross to hang in naked shame for all of Jerusalem to see. You see, our salvation was costly to Jesus. Do you realize that we are all born orphans in a spiritual sense. We might have earthly parents, you know, that gave us birth, but because we are born with a sinful heart and we were created by God who is absolutely holy and perfect and righteous, we are born estranged from our heavenly father because there's this gap between our sinfulness and his holiness that has to be bridged somehow in order for us to have a relationship with him. And David describes this condition of original sin like this. In Psalm 51, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so that's, that's a biblical reality that's not really based on our actions. It's just true of every human that is born. But the, the gospel, which is a word that means good news, 
The gospel is this, that our heavenly father, knowing that that was the case, that there was this gap between us and our hearts and his holy and perfect heart, he pursued each one of us with reckless abandon. Going so far as to to put on flesh and to humble himself to become a human, to live the life that we live here on this earth because he desperately wanted us to be reconciled to him. And there had to be a way for that to happen. And so he pursues each and every one of us. I know he pursued me. We are all born spiritual orphans. And the desire of our Heavenly Father is that each one of us would be adopted into his family. That we would call him Father, that he would call us children, and that he would give us a home. Not just during our time here on earth, but for all eternity. And that night that I returned from that orphanage in Desiree that I was talking about earlier, God began to speak to my heart. And as I was laying in bed that night, this is what he spoke to me. He said, hey, Bob. He said, your story is not much different from those kids in that dusty, dirty, remote, hopeless village that you were in today. Because you see, At one point in your life, you were without a spiritual father, and you were lost, and you were hopeless. You were confused. Your heart was a long way from mine. But I traveled the back roads and the forgotten paths. I went a long way to redeem you. And I took you into my family And I made you a son. And you have much more in common with those orphans in Desiree than you can ever imagine. Your story is not so different from theirs. And man, that was true. And that that hit me pretty hard that night. That's all of our stories. Earlier in John's Gospel... He described our adoption process like this. In John 1.12, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then later in 2 Corinthians 6.18, Paul records this promise from God. He says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see, when we make a decision to surrender our life to Christ and receive his free offer of grace and forgiveness and recognize him as Lord and Savior, we are adopted into his family. And where we had once been orphaned and abandoned and destitute and vulnerable, we are now embraced and taken in and given a home. So what does Easter mean? And the resurrection of Jesus have to do with what I've been talking about the last 20 minutes. How does this all connect? Well, I think the resurrection has everything to do with what we're talking about. Because you see, Jesus made a lot of promises when he was on this earth. And if he would have just died on the cross and been buried like every other human that's ever walked the earth, that he would have never had the power to accomplish anything that he promised. 
The resurrection made all of those things possible. He did conquer death. Scripture tells us that he appeared before hundreds of people over a 40-day period of time before he ascended into heaven. Let's take a look at one of those post-resurrection encounters with, between Jesus and his followers over in John chapter 20. If you want to flip over there a couple pages if you still got it open. John chapter 20. Starting in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, on Sunday night, the day that Jesus was resurrected, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, let me ask you this. This might seem like a really simple, stupid question. Why were they overjoyed? Why were they overjoyed? Give me some answers. Because what? Because he was okay? Yeah, somebody that really cared about was alive again, right? Last time they saw him, he didn't look real great. Okay? What else? Why else were they overjoyed? They, he came back like he promised. Yeah, Eric? Yeah, validated everything that he had taught them over the three-year period. Because see, here's the thing, is that as they play the tracks back in their mind now, they're thinking about all the promises that Jesus made. And if he can deliver on the hardest promise that anybody could ever make, that I'll come back from the dead, and he did it, well, then they start thinking, well, man, what else did he say, right? Because if he can do that, then he can surely do all these other things. Those things aren't as big of a deal as conquering death. Nobody's ever done that before, right? They were overjoyed at the resurrection. And guys, we should be too. <laughs> because the resurrection is true, we should never wonder whether we are loved by God. We should never wonder whether we are worthy of his affections. He literally went to hell and back to redeem every single one of us. We should never wonder whether we can count on God to always be there or whether his promises are true. So let's play this out a little bit. Because Jesus promised he wouldn't leave us as orphans, that he would come back for us, can we also believe him when he says, do not worry, do not be afraid, that we can trust him in that? Can we trust him when he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, that we can, that he means it? Can we trust him when he says that in my kingdom, the least will be the greatest, the last will be the first, the humble will be exalted? Can we trust him when he says, if you lay down your life, you'll find it? 
We're not just doormats down here as Christians just getting walked over by the world. There are promises that will come true if we live that way. Do we trust him? Can we trust him when he says that treasures in heaven, right, relationships that we have with people, those times when we serve and we give of ourselves and we love our neighbor and and serve the poor, that that will amount to more in his kingdom than all the material gain, treasures, toys, things that we can collect on this earth. Those things will bring us more joy than anything that can rust or destroy that this world creates. Can we trust Paul when he tells us that in Christ we are more than conquerors that we are? Can we trust that in Christ all things are possible? Can we trust that he will never leave us or forsake us? And ultimately, can we trust that one day when every one of us, when our time on earth is over, that he will come and take us home to be with him and he'll take us to one of those rooms that he's talking about that he's preparing and it'll have my name on it and it'll say welcome home Bob can we trust him you bet your boots we can that's an old TV commercial right you bet your boots Colonel Billy old people can remember that Guys, because of the resurrection, we've been adopted. We've been brought into a family. And Jesus, it said in that last passage we looked at, he breathed the Holy Spirit into them. Everybody who has a relationship with God has been given the Holy Spirit, and it's given to us as a seal, as a deposit, as a guarantee, something we can count on, something we can have faith in, a reminder of God's faithfulness. Paul described it like this in 1 Corinthians. He said, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Guys, this world can be a pretty messed up place. A place where it's really hard to know what we can put our trust in, who we can trust, right? Because people are sketchy, including us a lot of the time, right? Governments are a mess, Around the world, every day, in every corner of the globe, unspeakable violence and atrocities are carried out on the human race. But guys, in the midst of it all, we have a father that we can trust. A savior who looked death in the face, knowing what his death would bring us in terms of grace and forgiveness and eternal life, And he said to us, guys, I got this. I won't leave you as orphans. I won't abandon you. You are mine. And I'll go through hell 
and I'll conquer death to prove it. That you will never, never have to wonder whether I can be trusted or whether my promises are true. Ever. Amen? So this morning's question then for us, a couple different things. One is this. Do you have that kind of confidence and that kind of trust in your Savior? That when he said something is true, then it is, whether it feels like it is or not. It's true. You can trust him. For some of us, the, the, the deeper question might be, or the more foundational question, I guess, is do you know that you've been adopted? Do you have that assurance that you know that the Holy Spirit is in me? I sense it. I know it. When I'm singing these songs, there is something in me that, that vibrates with it <laughs> that says, yes, I believe that. It's true in my life. That grace was for me. That love was for me. I've received it. I get it. Do you know that? Guys, I want to take you back to this promise we looked at earlier in John 1.12. If you could put that back up, Todd. There it is. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Guys, if you don't know that you are a child of God who's been adopted and taken in, you can, you can assure that today. You can know that that is true for you. And then all of those promises that Jesus had that are for his people will become true for you as well. And man, there is nothing like the peace of knowing that. There's nothing like the peace of knowing that you have a father that you can count on. Because guys, our earthly parents are trying hard, but they don't always get it right. And when I was 16 and I was lost, I needed to know that I had a heavenly father that I could count on. That was never gonna leave me, never gonna forsake me. It was gonna be there. So I don't know what you need to pray this morning, but we're gonna pray. <laughs> and you just pray whatever you need to in your heart for whatever it is that God's saying to you today. So heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth, this reality of your resurrection. And God, if the resurrection is true, and I always go back to this fact that if it wasn't true, all the Romans had to do was go get your dead body out of the cave and paraded around the streets of Jerusalem, and that would have been the end of the discussion. Jesus would have been a liar. The whole thing would have fell apart. So something had to have happened. And, and we believe, God, that you rose from the dead just like you said you would. And God, that when we receive you and ask you into our lives, that you, your Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, guaranteeing us, sealing us as your child, so that one day when, when our time on this earth is done, that God, that we will walk into your kingdom and take our place that you prepared for us. So God, as followers of Christ here this morning, I wanna ask, God, do we have confidence in you? Where do we lack trust? God, help us to believe 
the things that you say are true about us, about life, about our circumstances, that we can count on you, that you haven't left us, that you're right there. God, there might be some people here this morning that aren't sure that they've been adopted. They're kind of still an orphan out there, kind of wandering around, wondering who loves me. (laughs) What's my life going to turn out like? God, I pray that you would just take hold of their hearts this morning, grab their, their hands and say, come home to me. You could know today that you're in my family. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. I went a long way to rescue you. Heavenly Father, I pray that there would be healing in this room this morning. I pray to God that there would be a reunion. Because Lord, you knit us all together before we were even born. You created each one of us and now we have the opportunity to come back into the fold. And I pray that we would take it today. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.